This is Brittany. And this is Casey. And we are the Professionally Unprofessionals. Hello, everyone. So welcome to today's episode. So we thought it would be really interesting to do a book review with you guys. So we were looking into books that we could do for free on Amazon. But, you know, in our kind of style, instead of staying true to the free free, we signed up for the free trial of Kindle Unlimited, which is, I think, 30 days of free books. And you could, like, read hundreds and thousands of books for free. Yeah, as many as you want. Yep. So do you want to tell everyone <laughs> the book that we chose? Yeah, so our first book that we're choosing to review is Spilled Milk by K.L. Randis. So just as a little disclaimer, everyone, this book does have emotional, verbal, sexual, and physical abuse and a lot of details in the book. So just a little disclaimer, if that's something that, not that you anyone would enjoy but if that's something that's triggering for you maybe skip this book yeah and we will be going through and discussing the different instances during our discussion today so if it's triggering for you then go ahead and skip the episode too yeah exactly so we took the book description from the website from amazon and it describes the book as spilled milk Brooke Nolan is a battered child who makes an anonymous phone call about the escalating brutality in her home. When social services jeopardize, jeopardize her safety by condemning her to keep her father's secret, it's a glass of spilled milk at the dinner table that forces her to speak about the cruelty she's been hiding. And this is a book, like the author, her experience. It's not yeah. like this is a fictional story so it's a true story yeah (laughs) that (laughs) anyway (laughs) so this book was hard to read at times it does go into details of when she's being abused by her father so the first sign of her abuse was when she wrote in one of her friend's journals and drew a picture of a penis and she did have to like use her friend's journal because it shows her family being very poor and not being able to like even have food regularly. So right. Having journals or luxuries like that just wasn't something that they had. So she was sat down by her mom and her friend's mom and asked why she did this. And her mom suggests that maybe she saw it on TV. So that's what Brooke said happened and why she did it. Her mom seemed to be more concerned about the family looking bad rather than like why she was writing and drawing about sex at such a young age. So she explains that like how the abuse started. Her mom got hurt at work and had to have surgeries to fix her back. And when this happened, she started taking a lot of painkillers and was like constantly on painkillers and in pain. And she wasn't able to get around like she usually did. Which is when her father started to tuck the kids into bed. But when he would tuck her into bed, he started to linger and eventually started molesting her. And 
as the story progresses, so does the sexual assaults. So looking ahead in chapter 10 of the book, Brooke goes to her new boyfriend's house for dinner. And throughout the dinner, she lets the reader know that there are already so many differences between her family and her boyfriend's family. And there is a sense of love that is communicated so effortlessly through each of the family members. You can just tell that this is like almost like a family you would see on TV, just laughing and having a good time talking about their days and stuff like that. And then there comes a point where the younger son accidentally knocks over his glass and his milk just spills everywhere. And at this time, Brooke goes into a protective overdrive mode and begins shouting instructions to the young son to run and hide as she begins rushing to clean up the milk. And as as expected, the family kind of looks at Brooke in confusion, telling her that everything's okay, like it's just spilled milk and so on. So Brooke has to take a minute to completely calm down from this raise of panic and begins realizing that this is what normal is supposed to be. Her family's reactions and constant need of protection from their father is not what is normal to other families. And Brooke recalls times that her father would get upset over small things and just burst into a fit of anger, throwing chairs and hitting her brothers and sisters. Brooke took on the responsibility in her house of being the protector, telling her brothers and sister where to hide and what to do when their father started to get angry. She went into that mode during this scene and was shaking with fear and shock that nothing was happening. In her house, Brooke told herself that if her father was hurting her, he wouldn't be able to hurt anyone else. And this plays a huge part of her role as the protector in the family. Later on in the book, we can tell that she is never abused out in the open. Her father never hits her like he did the other children, and she wasn't afraid to ask her dad for things like the other children were, such as money for like field trips or anything like that. If she asked, it wasn't a big deal, and she always got what she wanted, but if her siblings asked, it was... Like, they were being ungrateful and they would get in trouble for it. It was even stuff for, like, just getting a snack. Like, the kids didn't have access to the food or anything, so she would literally have to ask her parents if she could have food and then distribute it amongst her siblings. Yeah, and her, like, father put, like, a padlock Mm -hmm. on the pantry and he would open it for her, but nobody else was allowed to, like, to ask and they would, like, kind of hoard their food underneath their beds and stuff. So her brothers and sisters noticed this and took it as her being the favorite child, but we know that wasn't the case. She wasn't outwardly attacked by her father because he didn't want her to tell anyone what he was doing to her in private. As long as she stayed quiet, her sister wouldn't be endangered in the same way she was, and her older brother started to kind of pull away from her due to this this misunderstanding of her being the, quote, favorite and untouchable. And throughout the story, you can see Brooke begin to feel the water out with a couple of different people. And at one point, she's laying on her best friend's bed and asks her, have you ever had a dream that your dad came into your room? And then when the friend doesn't respond to her the way that she was expecting, she begins to see that other people are not having the same worries as she is. And so this begins to change when she 
becomes closer and closer to her boyfriend's mom, Gina. Gina asks lightly prodding questions and spends extra time with Brooke in a way that makes her feel more and more comfortable talking about things. Whenever she had to give Brooke a ride home, she would take the longer route in an attempt to spend more time with her. And Brooke kind of talked this up to um, Gina wanting a daughter of her own. And so she just thought that that's why she wanted to spend the extra time with her. But of course, Gina has suspicions of Brooke's father's for a while. And when she sees her father blow up with rage in person, it is confirmed that Brooke is in danger when she is at home. From this point on, Gina makes extra efforts to have Brooke open up about the possible troubles that she is experiencing with her father. With this, Gina researches different counseling agencies that make it possible for Brooke to talk to without the worry of having to pay for it. Since this was a really big barrier for Brooke's family because her family was already spread so thin with the lack of money that they had. Once Brooke was introduced to a counselor who was experienced with domestic violence, she began to open up more and more about what was going on at home. Yeah, and also she, like, the lack of money and if the mom didn't have to do anything about it was a really big deal in Brooke's and the rest of the siblings' lives. If they had something already figured out and the mom wouldn't have to do anything, it was far more likely the mom would be okay with it. Yeah, all of the children had to be very independent. Yeah. So as she started to go to counseling, she was paired with a counselor, Midge. And during the first meeting, Midge told her that anything she said in that room would be confidential except for three things. If she thought Brooke was going to harm herself, or if she thought she was going to harm someone else, or if she thought that there was child abuse happening. And you can tell in the scene that Brooke doesn't feel like she can talk about her situation with the counselor. Because that is child abuse. And she stays anyway. And she asks how you know if you're being abused. Mitch gives her an abuse wheel, explaining the different types of abuse and what happens within each of them. At this point, Brooke knows and can finally say with certainty that her father is abusive to everyone in her family. And then what what he is doing to her isn't her fault. She takes the wheel home and puts it under her pillow as a reminder that her life isn't normal and it isn't her fault. She continues to go and see Midge and make sure to keep anything that Midge and her talk about hypothetical and changes the subject when it gets too deep. And Brooke is going to see Midge for a little while and is feeling really good about the progress that she's making. But then one day, her dad finds the wheel that she was trying so hard to hide and goes into a fit of rage. As he's coming towards her, he changes direction and begins aiming his anger for the youngest sibling. And at this time, Brooke runs over and puts herself in the direct line of attack. She is kicked very violently in the gut and is told that it is her fault that it happened because she decided to step in the way. This really sets Brooke over the edge, and she decides that her father has to be stopped. When she is over at her boyfriend's house hanging out, her boyfriend leaves for a few minutes to go pick his little brother up from the corner, and Brooke sees this as an opportunity to make a move. She picks up the phone and makes a quick call to social services. She is careful not to leave her name in order to protect herself by being anonymous. Soon after, social services steps in. Yeah, and this scene was definitely 
a changing point for Brooke. And her youngest sibling at the time was like less than a year old. So mm-hmm. if her father had successfully attacked him and kicked him as he was planning, I feel like he probably would have died. Yeah, he was just so little and the force that he was using to kick Brooke, like taking the wind out of her kind of thing that he would not have yeah, been doing probably so well if he did survive. Yeah, definitely. So her and her brother are called to the front office of her school and a woman from social services is there with two police officers to interview them both. Adam, her older brother, is able to leave for a field trip, but Brooke is brought in for questioning. She's told that anything she says will stay confidential and that this is a safe place for her to answer to the allegations. She had a bad feeling about the situation and doesn't feel safe telling the whole truth. So she explains to the social worker that she told her boyfriend's mom about a dream she had of her father coming into her room at night and that it was all a dream. About a week later, her mom gets a letter in the mail from social services explaining everything Brooke had told the social worker and that they are opening an investigation. Her mom asks Brooke if it's true, that she will leave if that's what Brooke wants, but then quickly points out that they would have no money and probably wouldn't survive. So Brooke denies it being true to her mom and later that day to her abuser. A few weeks later, after the case was closed with the social services office, Brooke's aunt calls her and asks her to come see her in New York and not to tell her parents where she was going. When she gets there, her aunt and uncle sit her down and explain that Brooke's mom told them about the social service calls in the investigation. They explain to her that she is safe there and that she is within the family bubble of protection, as well as her mom brothers, and sister. If anything was harming any of them, they would have a safe place there with them. This is exactly what Brooke needs to hear, and for the first time, she tells them about her father sexually abusing her. They tell Brooke that they've been in contact with Gina, and they have plans, a plan in place to keep them all safe from their father as Brooke goes and reports the abuse to the cops. Gina and her husband, as well as Brooke's aunt and uncle, take the trip down and tell Brooke's mom about the abuse while Brooke is at the police station giving her statement. After this is complete, they flee and stay with her aunt and uncle while the cops investigate their father. And at this time, the father is arrested and not allowed back into the household. Brooke begins seeing things to change, but not quite in the way that she wants them to. The expectation of everything going to normal for the family, with their father finally being out of the picture, was just not the reality of the situation like she had hoped. Instead, she had to face how upset her mother was about this. Her mom claimed that things were much harder now because Brooke took out the main income for the family. This weighed heavily on Brooke and caused her to begin to spread herself thin, trying to provide for herself as well as her family at the time. She tried bringing up the idea of downsizing and moving out of the house that held so much trauma for all of the children, but her mother refused to leave her quote-unquote dream house. Brooke finally built up the courage to explain that staying in the house just wasn't healthy for her, 
because she was experiencing PTSD symptoms from the countless times her father abused her, especially in her bedroom. This in turn led to her mom going out and picking a bunch of bedroom decor out for her aunt to buy for Brooke. Brooke could see clearly that her mom just would not understand the distress she was experiencing by staying in the house. Skipping ahead to the trial, Brooke was the only child that could testify. She was extremely nervous and did not know what to expect. She had to explain to a room full of people what her father had done to her. She was fearful of saying something she wasn't supposed to, such as rape and penis, and she was able to get through it, and it was just really hard for her. She recalled not knowing who she was allowed to look at or she was, or if she was like allowed to get emotional. When she was cross-examined, they used her good grades at the time of her abuse against her, claiming it was not the norm for children that are being abused to do better in school. And they used her receiving 90s on her tests and her classes as proof that she wasn't being abused. As well as her just being mad at her father for not buying her a car and spending the night at her boyfriend's house. She didn't know how to react. These things did happen, but not in the way that they were saying they did, and not for those reasons. After the two-day trial, the jury came back with a verdict after only three hours. She was warned that this is not a good sign. When they got back into the courtroom, the judge announced the jury was deadlocked and they could not reach a verdict. She would have to go through all of this again. She was heartbroken. As Brooke was leaving the courthouse, she was told that the jury wanted to talk to her. This was very unusual. They met her outside and told her that they believed her. They knew she was telling the truth and they couldn't stand that they couldn't convict. There was one man who couldn't convict without a reasonable doubt. But they wanted to help her, talk to her attorney so next time there wouldn't be any questions at the end and that he would be sent away for a long time. After hearing that her father was not found guilty in the first trial, she felt like she could not handle going through a second trial. But instead of having the defeat hold her back, she used the anger to fuel her. She began asking questions to her lawyer, such as which words were appropriate to use and where she should be looking when she is answering questions. She used everything that went wrong in the first trial to help guide her to winning in the second one. It was very clear that Brooke was finding her strength and wanted to step up so that it would be guaranteed that her father would go away. Instead of having the defense say that she was not the ideal abuse victim, she told the jury what was actually happening. She was able to get the good grades because the only time she could close her door and be safe from her father was when she was studying. The reason why she wanted to stay the night at her boyfriend's house was because it was right after she had been attacked by her father and did not want to go back home. This time, she was able to paint a very clear picture of the situation by not leaving any room for anyone to doubt her. When the trial was over, Brooke and her legal team went out to eat while they waited for the jury to come back with a verdict. However, the jury only took 45 minutes to decide. This was very shocking to everyone because it was even quicker than the last trial. They went back to the courthouse not knowing what to expect. When the jury came back, they found him guilty of all charges. When they were reading out the final verdict, the father showed no emotion to what was happening. This was a huge win for Brooke. 
but it wasn't over. She still had to wait for the sentencing hearing where the judge would decide how long her father, her father would be in jail and unable to hurt her or her family. Her legal team advised her to write a victim statement along with everyone who was involved in the case. By the time of the sentencing, she had 32 letters from people who wanted her father to be put away for a long time. People he had hurt, people who saw what was happening to her and her family, and people he had abused in the past. The judge, after reading all the letters, expressed to the court how she never thought a glass of spilled milk would be the thing to give someone the courage they needed to stand up to their abuser and gave him the maximum sentence on all charges, totaling 16 years. Everyone who had supported Brooke was so happy for her and the win that she had received. Brooke was just happy that it was over. The book ends with us watching her as she finally is able to build her life free of abuse. She no longer lives at home where the abuse lingers and her hope for her family getting counseling and help that to become normal and happy never comes true. She falls in love and gets married. She graduates from college and gets a job at the same women's crisis center she first went to and became fully aware of her abuse. Her life, although not perfect, was full of hope and love and understanding. Throughout the ending of the book, we can truly see how far Brooke has come from the situation that she was put in. There is one scene in the book where Brooke is asked to come speak to a group of people who were involved in the court process in one way or another. She is able to explain the different ways the system can be changed to better support the people that they claim to be helping and all the ways the system failed her. At this time, she claims herself as a survivor and refused to be a victim of the circumstances. And this, to me, was my favorite part of the book because obviously everybody loves to see her getting justice but I think there was just such a strong feeling of her finally overcoming everything and when she says that she's a survivor it was just like really really put you in your feelings you know yeah definitely so what was your favorite part so this is a little bit more of a general than like a specific part in the book but I just really enjoyed that the author of course she was like honest in telling her story but she also focused on being honest about like her family's reaction. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like sometimes it's like, Oh, well, like I'm all good and everything's great now. But the reality of the situation is that like not everyone gets that mm-hmm. and not everyone gets help after. And it's not like once someone leaves that everything will change if you're kind of raised a certain way. And yeah. like, that's the only thing you ever knew. Even looking at when she was going through the abuse and she was getting like the high grades and stuff like that, like pointing out that she's not the norm. I thought that was really important. Yeah. So that was just my favorite part that like she was very honest about this not being the norm. And like she is like the exception to the rule and showcasing like what quote unquote normal is. Mm hmm. So throughout the book, we talked about her going over to her boyfriend's house. And her boyfriend was Paul, and that's Gina's son. Mm -hmm. And just throughout the entire story, it talks about, like, her meeting him and, like, kind of falling in love and having that first 
romance in her life. And she did like lose quote unquote her virginity to him and like her mind. Cause like her father just doesn't count. Um, and I had a lot of issues with Paul as a character. Of course it was still like very true. I'm assuming to how it happened, but he definitely made her feel like her problems were like, made up kind of in her head he's like oh I don't want to be around you you just always seem like you're gonna cry and like you have too many issues for me to handle which like I understand to a point like you're a kid and you want to be able to be a kid but he was just downright like rude and aggressive to her like she was ruining his life instead of just being like oh like I understand you're going through a lot and like I can help you as a friend. I just can't be involved with you. Like I would understand that so much more, but he was just being like an immature kid. Mm -hmm. And like when he found out what was really happening, I really assumed he would be like, Oh, like, I'm so sorry. Like I shouldn't have said anything like that. And like understanding, which he does for like a quick second. And then after that, he goes straight back to being like, oh, well, like, this is all your fault and you discussed me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what did you think about Paul? Um, So I had all the same feelings about that, too. Like, just, you almost see him becoming good and then, like, instantly he goes back to, I don't want anything to do with you, like, stop coming to my house, which was really hard for her, obviously, because one of her biggest advocates was his mom. And so that was really hard to just read through that. And I think us being adults now, especially because of course we're like, if we were in high school, you have like that high school love and like you would do anything, you know, kind of thing. And being an abuse victim, like I can see why it was so hard. But then as the story goes on and she falls in love with her new boyfriend and they end up getting engaged and married, they she talks about how she like cries about Paul still to her fiance and she like tells him all the time that she misses him and stuff like that and then when Paul asks to have dinner with her or whatever her husband gets really upset obviously because he's asked her before um like if he were to come back and say he was sorry like what does that mean for you and she's always said oh like that's never going to happen. We don't need to talk about it. And then it does happen. And she ends up going to dinner with him. And of course, like, it's Paul, like he didn't grow much from what happened, whatever. But like that to me was really hard to read because Jason was obviously there for her and like loved her and like helped her through all of this. And then like seeing her like revert back to Paul was kind of like, no, like, don't do it, you know? Yeah, and I also feel like for me, like, looking at the whole story and, like, processing it, that Mm -hmm. although, like, Brooke was in love with Paul or, like, she thought she was in love with Paul, I really just think it's the fact that she found what normal was at Paul's house and not so much the man or the boy. It was just more of the feeling 
of like normalcy and like understanding that she got that she really like craved rather than Paul himself. Because yeah, he was like, nice I, at the beginning, but he wasn't all that, you know? Yeah, he was like your typical teenage boy. But then it was it just became really problematic, obviously, when he kept on pressuring her to have sex with him. And when she wasn't, he like still continued to brag to all of his little friends that they were and stuff like that. And I understand that, of course, he's always going to be this big part of her life because that is where she found safety. Um, and then, of course, Gina was always rooting for them to stay together because she loves... Brooke so much but then at the end when she says like oh like go make little grandbabies for me like even though she's with Jason was just like oh yeah like obviously she's still going to love Brooke even though she didn't end up with her son yeah definitely so and also another character throughout the book that we um had some issues with (laughs) was Brooke's mom so of course, we have to like put ourselves in the mindset that mom, her mom was also being abused, and her yeah. mom was stuck in the situation as much as Brooke was. But also, she really wasn't, and like it's always hard to be like justifying someone staying in their relationship when that person is hurting their children, but. As we know, like, abusers don't start off being abusive. They escalate and they make them feel like they're the only ones that could help them. They're the only ones that Mm -hmm. love them and care about them. But my biggest issue with Brooke's mom is just the fact that she knew what was happening. And, like, I'm not expecting her to quote like leave or anything but she doesn't even address it like to the people that were also being abused she just pretends it's not happening and I feel like her being like well like if this is really the case like we will leave like I'll do what you want and then immediately changes and being like well if we do though like we're most likely gonna not survive and that will probably mm-hmm. be a huge mistake. It's like, okay, well, what do you think a kid's going to say? They want to give yeah. you what you need as much as you're supposed to care for them and support them. And she just put so much pressure on Brooke as being the protector when that was really her role that she was supposed to play. And I think, again... I know in my head that, like, it would be a really hard situation for her, especially her being in pain and not being able to, like, work and being, like, on drugs, basically. But, like, she didn't even care when her youngest was born. Like, Brooke was the one at night taking care of Ethan, not the mom. And I just can't stand that. It really made my heart hurt. It was just really hard for me because obviously, like, you're right. She is a victim of the abuse, too. Like, she wasn't not a part of any of it. Um, But the fact that she, like, continued to have children and then the fact that when 
she was saying that they were low on money and stuff, she had Brooke drug dealing to try to help the family. And then when Brooke gets injured and like has a gun pulled on her, her biggest issue was that the guy took the drugs, not that her daughter's life was put at risk. Yeah. And so just like constantly seeing that the children's lives weren't a priority of hers, like being a mother wasn't a priority was just really hard to read. Um, and I, I really think that it sucks that that's the only way that the kids get to stay together is if the mom is still around so that you can't, you can't really do anything about her like knowing about all of the abuse. And she does mention in different parts of the book that she knows what was happening to Brooke and she knows what's happening to the boys and stuff. And it's just, it's just really heartbreaking. Yeah. She doesn't say it like outwardly, but like yeah. Brooke can tell that. Yeah. She, she alludes to. She knows yeah. a lot more than she's pretending like she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And like the mom is just a master manipulator as yeah. well as the father. And it's just really hard to, you know, be okay with her acting like that to her children. Yeah. Especially, like, I feel like if they're going through so much with their dad, their mom should be a safe haven. But instead, she's, like, this faster manipulator of herself and just is very much feeding on the, oh, poor me. Yeah, exactly. Situations, so. Well, I did end up wondering if... Um, she was also abused at another time in her life because she, like, this is not like it's normal to her, but it's not as, like, outrageous. And she doesn't seem to have, like, that maternal instinct. And so, I don't know. And just, like, things, whenever there's someone else around, she knows how she's supposed to act. Yeah. You know? Like, that's a very like key thing with manipulators is that they're like oh like oh my gosh Brooke I can't believe this is happening to you while the aunt and Gina and everyone's there but she had Mm -hmm. just talked to Brooke literally less than 24 hours before that about the same situation she's like well if this really was true then like I'll help you but all this other stuff says that you shouldn't really say anything but yeah, when exactly. someone else is in the situation, then it's like, oh my gosh, Brooke, I had no idea. Like, playing on other people's emotions. So, at towards the beginning of the book, Brooke can tell, like, she knows that her situation is not normal, but she doesn't know why. She's not sure, but she knows that they need to leave. But she doesn't want to leave her younger sister because then her dad could prey on her younger sister. So mm-hmm. she makes a plan with her sister Kat to run away to their grandparents' house. Their grandparents um, are a really loving family. Whenever they go over there, everything seems great. And they are very like attentive with the kids. And like they really try to do their best. They're like, oh, like if you need money, we'll give you money. If you need a place to stay, like, we'll have you stay here. Like, and Brooke makes this plan with her sister. We're running away at night. 
But her sister being so young is like, oh, like we need to tell mom because she'll want to come and visit us. Like she'll want to know where we're at. So they pack up their suitcases and in the middle of the night, they plan to go out of the window and run to their grandparents' house. And Kat being sad and wanting to tell mom, they're like, okay, let's go tell her so she could come and run away with us too. And so they wake the mom up in the middle of the night and tell her that they want to leave. And her mom never asks why. Mm -hmm. She's just like, oh, you want to leave me? Like, why can't you just stay? Like, we'll run away later. But she never asks, like, what's wrong that you want to leave? Which makes, Mm kind of like, tells the reader that the mom already knows. So as the story progresses, like, we always have this in the back of our, like, minds. Yeah. And then shortly after that situation, and, like, Brooke is saying, like, oh, like, I wonder when we're going to leave. Like, mom hasn't said anything about it yet. And then the dad and the mom move the entire family away from the grandparents. Yeah, far away. Yeah. Like three hours drive. Mm -hmm. So there's no way that they could walk. And this is just like super devastating because Brooke talks about staring at her mom and like telling her with her eyes, like, what about grandma and grandpa's house? Yeah, exactly. So that one was probably like, (laughs) like the part of the book that like got me really like emotional and just like the fact that like, the mom knew she needed to leave, but like instead just isolated her with her abuser. Yeah, exactly. I thought that that was like a pivotal point for me too, because I was like, she's not protecting her children. Like, what is she doing? Yeah. You know? And like, I think it, a lot of it was like, oh, the mom loves the house. And like, we see that later. She doesn't want to leave the house. And so I have a strong feeling that like, the dad convinced the mom. It's like, oh, I'll buy you this dream house if you just leave. And then she's like, well, like, exactly. it's a material thing that I've never had before. So I'm going to take it instead of going and doing the right thing by my children and myself, probably. Yeah. So the part that got me the most was when they are talking to the aunt and uncle, um, like Brooke is talking to the aunt and uncle and Gina about like what their plan is and about how they're going to help Brooke and stuff. And Brooke was kind of shocked, like the extent that Gina knew, because they have her go through um, kind of like a timeline of the different instances of abuse because that just solidifies the claims that she's making so that it's not like she's flustered and just making it up really because you know that's a really big common thing with sexual assault victims um and so when she realizes that Gina knows a specific time and she was not forcing Brooke to say things that she didn't want to to her and she wasn't forcing Brooke to 
talk about her family or talk about like the extent of what was going on but she was just like guiding her and like giving her this um the resources to be safe and giving her the resources to talk to people who are professional and can actually give her help was just like that was really a big thing for me because I think it's really hard like somebody you love going through this like obviously you want to step in right away and just like make everything better but she like gave her the time that she needed so that she could like heal yeah and during that whole scene too it was super emotional because she Mm -hmm. did finally like say out loud that like she was raped by her father and her aunt and uncle like of course, she had just told them that, like, her father was sexually abusing, abusing her. Yeah. But, like, not in the detail. And, like, her aunt starts breaking down, crying, like, wailing, basically, because she kind of assumed it was, like, she was being molested, which is still horrible. And I'm not saying by any means that, like, that doesn't, like, bring the same weight and, like, emotional scar mm-hmm. as being raped. But that image is obviously horrible to, like, imagine your niece going through that. So, especially with someone who's supposed to be, like, her protector. Yeah. That was definitely a really hard part of the book. Um, Another really hard part for me to read through is when Brooke finds out she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. So she kind of explains that there's no way it could be her boyfriend's, that she had only had sex with him two times, and the timing of her periods and stuff just didn't line up. And I felt so horrible reading this part. Like Your heart just sinks. Yeah, her realization that, like, she's pregnant is, like, horrible, okay? But then her even more, like, realization that it's her father's baby Mm -hmm. is just absolutely terrifying. And you can tell she's, like, really depressed about this and, like, doesn't know what to do. Like, she's a child. This is the worst case scenario. Like, horrible. And then she has a miscarriage and she like explains everything that's happening in the miscarriage and it's just a really hard part because even though being pregnant is a horrible thing like her going through all of this emotional baggage so like closely to each other is just really hard to listen to and she talks about her being in bed for a solid like 48 hours and not being able to eat And, like, having Mm -hmm. this loss, but on the other side, like, knowing this is her reality. Yeah. So, that was also a really hard part, and, like, I cried. (laughs) Yeah, that part was really hard for me, too, because it was, like, not only is she having to deal with, like, the emotions of how she got pregnant, and then the emotions of being pregnant, and then her body, like, I would almost feel like punishing her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like she already feels like at that point that she couldn't get help. 
And she had to go through this whole entire like mentally, emotionally, physically draining process all by herself. Yeah. Had absolutely nobody to talk to thinking Mm -hmm. that it's her fault. Like everything is her fault. Yeah. So that was definitely like one of the biggest things in the book that like made me cry. And I think I had to like shut down like the Kindle and like not Uh read for a while after that because it was pretty emotionally draining to read. Yeah. So although this book can be very depressing at times and like having that insight into like her life and what it was like, would you recommend this book overall? Do you think it's like worth like the emotional roller coaster it puts you through? What do you think? Um, for me, I thought it was really eye-opening. Like, obviously not, like, you don't want to read about abuse and you don't want to read about these sad things happening. But just, like, relating to me being, like, a mandatory reporter of abuse and having those connections with kids in school and stuff like that, it was just really a good reminder that you're not just looking for the signs of withdrawal and you're not just looking for the signs of, like, acting out. Like, you just really have to keep an eye on, like, all of the kids, you know? Yeah. And, like, the whole situation with the social services absolutely mm-hmm. shocked me. Like, yeah. that they said it was confidential, and then it wasn't, and they sent home that letter. And she talks about it, like, later on when she's giving her speech, that her father, if he got that letter first and she told the truth, he would have killed her. Like, exactly. That is such a dangerous situation to be put in. So I do feel like this book is really good. And I think it's important for people to read these hard things to understand, like, what it's like for the person going through the abuse. And it just opens up, it opens up like a really good discussion, because it's not Like, obviously, not everybody's situation is the same, but just thinking about, like, how you could help or support people. Yes. And, like, I feel like also this is just showing the overcoming of abuse, of course, which makes it a little bit easier to Mm -hmm. digest because you do get a good outcome in the end. Yeah. And I feel like if there wasn't a good outcome, it would have been like, oh, like, I don't know if I would recommend someone else to go through it without that part. And I just really feel like because of that, I could definitely recommend this book to someone and I would read it again if I knew, like, you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If that makes any sense. So this episode was a little bit heavy so thank you guys for sticking with us if you did and if not like we understand you probably just skip to the end to hear us tell you about our email which is (laughs) professionally and professionals at gmail.com or you can check us out on instagram at professionally and professionals and like our facebook page the professionally and professionals bye guys bye (laughs) (laughs) 